Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to be able to join you for the program. Sometimes serving God will mean you have to make a sacrifice. Jeremiah had to. Jesus had to. Jesus had to. Have you ever considered that it's your right to be married? We tend to think that way, don't we? We get to choose a mate and if we love them and it works for us, then it's our right to marry them. Maybe not. That's not what God had in mind for the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah and with good cause. Let's explore as we join Dr. Corbett now. Father, we pray that as we open up your word now, which we read earlier, will last forever. Our bodies won't. We are like grass. We are but like a flower that blooms then fades. And now, Lord, I pray that as we open your word and we look at your word, that you would speak to people where they're at. Father, for those that have nagging doubts, those that have questions, those that have issues where they need your wisdom, we pray today that as the word is preached and the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, we pray that you would give answers, you would meet needs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 16. We, this is a, a, a little bit of a personal insight into what God was doing into the life of the prophet. We're looking at the first couple of verses in particular and seeing how really everything flows out of this. And this is where God tells him, you shall not take a wife. Now, I tried to be very creative with coming up with a really catchy title and Karen Dixon and I were talking about this early when we were doing some pre-recording for this uh, Serving God as Single uh, I thought that's not very catchy Um, Single Sacredness uh, that sounds religious Uh, and I was trying to then I thought um, no wife, no strife Mm, could be onto something but I still couldn't settle on anything so although the no wife, no strife might That might make the DVD cover. But anyway, so we've got this direct quotation. You shall not take a wife. So let's let's have a look at the the opening couple of verses here. We're going to read the first two verses. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 2, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. So... You know, I can just imagine Jeremiah hearing, you shall not take a wife. Oh, okay, you just, you just don't want me to marry the girl that I end up with. And God actually emphatically says, you don't take a wife, you don't even go there. You don't have children, you don't have sons, you don't have daughters, you don't even go there, Jeremiah. Now, I want to I reflect on this. For a little bit, but I want to I want to set it up for you dramatically because sometimes we read scripture, and we read scripture like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I don't think this was cool for Jeremiah. I think there was a little bit of say what, Lord? <laughs> so here we are. You shall not take a wife, and so we we read in in verse three. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who were born in this place and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in the land, verse 4, they shall die of deadly diseases 
they shall not be lamented, they shall, uh, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Wow. Man, oh man. This, this is uh, God telling Jeremiah what is again about to happen. The sword, famine, pestilence theme. You know, you could be forgiven for thinking that Jeremiah was just a miserable guy. And he wasn't. He was, he was beginning to capture the heart of God. Is God all about sword, famine and pestilence? Not at all. But why would God do this? What led God to this? Well, God tells Jeremiah, you, you shall not take a wife. And I presume he said that to him because he wanted to. Otherwise, you know, it's like me commanding you to breathe air. You, you, I don't have to. You, you just do it. You, you command someone to do something that perhaps would not ordinarily be something that they would want to do. So Jeremiah probably wanted to get married. And God says, no, you are not to take a wife. Ezekiel experienced a, a similar thing, although I would suspect more painful than what Jeremiah has just heard from God. So here's Jeremiah called to serve God as a single. We live in a very sexualized culture. We live in a culture where pairing and partnering is the norm. It's a rare thing to go to a restaurant and see one person sitting at a table. It's a rare thing uh, to, to see... Um, someone solo single in a, in a social event. We are in a, a culture where uh, pairing up is uh, just standard practice. It's, we are socialised into that. And it's not a bad thing. But here Jeremiah's called to serve as a single. In, in, in some aspects you could wonder, why is God, you know, you could see... Jeremiah could be asking, God, why are you being cruel to me? Why are you doing this? I, I, I've served you faithfully. We read that in the last chapter where he says, I have, I, I, I've, not, I've not associated with evil people. I, I, I've not done the wrong thing. I've, I've served you with all my heart and this is how I'm getting treated. So Jeremiah could have thought that being single was a curse. You know, he, he could have thought that, but it's not. It's not a curse. History is marked by people who served God singly, without marrying. And because of that, the world is a much better place. So why would Jeremiah perhaps think that serving God as a single was a curse? Well, Proverbs 18 verse 22 says this, uh, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord and every husband said and the others said no no so if you if you find a wife you find favor from the Lord and you find a good thing Proverbs 18:22 so husbands as we ponder this and, and Jeremiah's call and we see what God was asking him to do you know as I as I did this I I had to put my bible down just stop, reflect, look up to God and go, thank you for Kim. Thank you for my wife. And I know that there are some husbands that would struggle to do that. And the next section 
in Jeremiah 16 should give you some hope and comfort that God can take a hopeless situation and turn it into a situation riddled, saturated with hope. So serving God for Jeremiah as a single may have meant a sacrifice. And perhaps for some people to serve God as a single also means there's a sacrifice here. And much of this can be backgrounded in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about serving God as a single. And, and he says to couples who may be a situation where one knows the Lord, maybe the wife knows the Lord, the husband doesn't know the Lord, and Paul has some things to say to wives in those situations. Don't seek to become single, if that's your situation, is essentially what he says. And he also says to people in that situation, 1 Corinthians 7, he says, if you've, essentially, if you've made getting married your life's aim, you've got the wrong aim. That's not what life is about. So we'll see that in a moment. That being single and, and perhaps going through life and never marrying is not, is not the worst thing that could ever happen to you. So serving God as a single may mean sacrifice. It may mean that. And serving God as a single can also be a call and we, we've looked at early on here that when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? One of the first names that they gave was Jeremiah. And the parallels between Jeremiah and Jesus are uncanny. And Jesus served God in his time on earth as a single, as a single person. So serving God as a single, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, only that each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in the churches. So Paul is saying there in 1 Corinthians 7 that he had a call to serve God as a single. He had a call to serve God as a single. So serving God as a single can actually be a call. I think of John R.W. Stott, who died just a few months ago. He felt called to serve God as an Anglican priest, as a single man. And the innuendo he faced for doing that was phenomenal. I was in England. I was teaching a course there at a university uh, for two weeks, um, uh, I was privileged that they hosted my family and Amanda came as our nanny. Um, and I used the John R. W. Stott book as a textbook for the intensive that I was teaching. I was taken aside by the president of the college and told, how dare I use a book written by a homosexual? And I said, pardon? He said, yeah, he's not married. He must be homosexual. The, the, the logic is profound, isn't it? You know, And this man is a, was a very, very godly man. If you ever see a book by John R.W. Stott, it's probably very good. So serving God as a single is not a curse. It may mean a sacrifice and it can even be a call. And we see all of that in the life of Jeremiah. He was not cursed because he was called to serve God as a single. 
He had to make a sacrifice and he was also called. The dating game can be a cruel thing. And we again, we live in a socialised culture, a culture that says play the dating game, a culture that says if, if you aren't paired up, if you aren't in a relationship, you're less than a person. If you aren't in a relationship, if you aren't got a boy, if you haven't got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, then there's probably something wrong with you. And I went through youth group knowing what I've just said to you. I felt I was quite content. I was called. I felt called to serve God as a single. So I never played the dating game. And I saw lives getting ruined and thrown on the scrap heap of relationship uh, wreckages. And it's a horrible thing. A horrible thing. And so if, if I was to just speak pastorally to every young person here or eligible single person here today and you're looking for a relationship with someone that's a good thing it's not a bad thing it's a good thing but it should not be the primary thing and that's the point because serving God is more important than you getting married in fact we're going to have a look at this moment and here Jeremiah is told essentially You want to get married. That's your goal. Don't make that your goal. Make serving me your goal. Now, can you? Can you do that? Can you make serving God your goal? Now, I know that there are some young people that will hear, like, for example, boys will hear that there are some people worshipping in another church and they wear skirts. So they will. I think the Lord is calling me to this church. I'm going to put it out there. I don't think that's the best reason to leave a church or join a church. Just saying, just saying. I'm just thinking that the will of God might look a little bit grander than that. And so serving God is more important than getting married. And I know for some people getting married is pretty important. They want it and they want it now. (laughs) But serving God is more important than marrying. And, and in fact, for those that are married, the goal of your marriage is so that you can serve God. The goal of your marriage is so that you can serve God. You know, I, I, being married is, is, is a wonderful social, uh, socially opening, opportunity opening thing. I, I can't even think of the, the right words to say it. But, but, it, but it looks like this. At the end of last year, Kim and I invited our neighbours over to come to sort of an end-of-year Christmas barbecue. Now, I suppose I could have done that as a single, but it's a lot easier to sit back and watch your wife cook the meat and get the drinks. And it's just... <laughs> so, so being married opens up social opportunities that being single doesn't. That, that's the reality. So Now, if it does, and you're not doing that for the cause of the kingdom... What's the problem? In other words, to, to, to those of us that are married and we have this social opportunity, use it. Invite people over for a meal. Invite people over for a barbecue. So far we've had, um, in our street, we've had quite a few of the people in our street who don't go to church, we've had them over for a barbecue or a meal. And I know, uh, Michael, you have a block, sort of a street party at the end of the year. And, and so, you know, so it's a, it's a great thing to be able to do that. So the goal of a marriage is to be able to serve God better. I I serve God 
to the extent that I do, because I'm married. Because I am married, I can serve God the way I do. But that's not the only goal of marriage. The goal of a marriage is so that you can know God better. So I'm able to say to Kim regularly, what is God saying to you? And, and, and at night I see, I, I don't know anybody, I'm, uh, no exaggeration, I do not know anybody who reads their Bible more than Kim. No kidding, no exaggeration. I see her reading her Bible regularly. And the goal of marriage is to know God better. So the question is, I'll ask her, I'll see her there. She reads her Bible usually on the iPad where she can uh, soap the word, you know, uh, write down the scripture you're reading, observe what you're reading, um, figure out how to apply what you're reading and then pray the application in S-O-A-P, soaping the word and she uses the notes thing in the iPad and just does that as she's, as she's reading. So she's engaging with the text and, and I'll ask her, where, where are you reading? What, what are you up to now? And she'll be able to share with me where she's at. And she'll do the same for me. And we'll pray together. And that's wonderful. That's fantastic to have not only someone who's your spouse, but your prayer partner. It's fantastic. And if your spouse is not your prayer partner, be rebuked. Praise the Lord. Uh, we go down to, uh, let's, let's look at verse 5. For thus says the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy declares the Lord. Let's read verse 6. But both great and small shall die in the land. They shall not be buried. No one shall lament for them or cut himself, or make himself bald for them, which, which sounds pretty weird. And uh, we're going to see now, as, as we read on, so all this is about to happen to Judah, which was the southern part of Israel. So Israel was kind of made up of two states. Australia's made up of uh, six and a couple of, or a couple of territories. And uh, Ju- Israel was made up of two, and the north had already gone. The northern state of Ephraim had been conquered and the southern state of Judah is now interchangeably referred to as Israel or Judah. And they had engaged in idolatry, immorality, and they had rejected God's word, which is ignorance. They, they did not want to know, which is what ignorance is, not want to know what God's word said and and. and and we're going to see in a moment, in fact, if I could just preempt it a little bit, in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 64, we read there that Moses said to Israel, when you come into the land, the land is yours. The land is yours. You'll enjoy the land. God will be your God. You'll be his people. The land will, will look after you and provide food for you. You'll be protected by God in the land. Everything will go smooth unless... Unless you turn away from God, unless you go after other gods, unless you treat 
women as objects and abuse them sexually and rape and pillage and commit all kinds of pedophilic acts and, and be absolutely disgusting sexually. Unless you do that and if you reject my word, then I will send you out of the land. I will drive you out of the land. We continue to read verse 7. No one shall break bread for the mourner to comfort him for the dead, nor shall anyone give him the cup of consolation to drink for his father or his mother. You sh- so families were despised, well, your family will be broken up. Verse 8, you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and drink. Verse 9, uh, nor shall the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, uh, uh, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. So not only was God telling Jeremiah, don't take a wife, but he was saying to Israel, you won't be able to either. Because you have so flippantly and treated and despised marriage, you won't even enjoy marriage. It will be taken from you. So in verse 10, and when you tell this people all these words, they will say to you and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Now, you see what's happening here is that despite Jeremiah's already proven prophetic word and despite Jeremiah reminding them that that. What he was saying was, was not new information. This information had been in Deuteronomy for, for a thousand plus years. Two thousand years. It had been there. And, and so this was not new information. And the word had proven true. But despite that, the people were unrepentant. Very interesting. In Revelation 16, it talks about, you know, in, the, in, in that closing period, it says that despite all these bad things, people still refuse to repent. They refuse to repent. Sometimes bad situations cause people to shake a fist at God. That is exactly the wrong thing to do with your hand at that time. Bad situations should cause you to open your hand and ask for help. And here these people were still brazen. We've done nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Wow. Verse 11, and then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, there's idolatry, have served and worshipped them and have forsaken them and not kept my law, there's ignorance. Well, you'd think, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're punishing us because of what our fathers and grandparents did? That's hardly fair. Oh, well, just read verse 12. Because it says, and because you have done worse than your ancestors, you've done worse than your fathers, For behold, every one of you follows his stubborn, evil will, refusing to listen to me. Oh, man. Therefore, verse 13, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and you shall serve other gods day and night, and I will show you no favour. Wow. Wow. And that's almost a direct quote from Deuteronomy 28. So what do we see here? Hmm. Jeremiah is told not to marry because there would come a time when they wouldn't be able to either. No more would the voice of the bridegroom or the voice of the bride be heard. No more would they marry. 
So Jeremiah becomes the word. People would say to him, how come you're not getting married? Because you're not going to be able to get married soon. The enemy's going to come in. The enemy's going to invade. This is all going to be over. And they'll go, why? Because you haven't kept the word of the Lord. You haven't obeyed God. Your heart has been for you, not for him. And because of that, you're going to reap the consequences. So God sometimes uses people to become the message. He'll use you. The apostle Paul said, we are letters written by God. We, we may be the only Bible some people get to read. We need to be the message of God. Jeremiah was. Secondly, I don't know what your concept of serving God looks like, but there's a whole bunch of people that wear white suits and appear on television with gold chains and make the gospel look silly. That it, They make serving God sound like a pathway to riches and it's not it's not that at all that i don't even know what religion that is that's not christianity because sometimes serving god and i use the word sometimes and i don't even know if i should so i'm going to use it anyway sometimes serving god will mean you have to make a sacrifice jeremiah had to jesus had to jesus had to so sometimes serving god means that you pay a sacrifice. And thirdly, Jeremiah prophesied this. And did the people go, oh, yeah, good points, Jeremiah. Sorry, you're right, we're wrong. We repent. Not on your life. (laughs) No, they didn't do that. They didn't do it. And so God sometimes calls people to serve and he summons us, his people, to be faithful to him even when our audience will reject us. Even when people call us silly and they call us names and they tell us that we're just ignorant and dim-witted. And fourthly, what do we see here? The word of the Lord. God reminds his people that his word stands proven and true because what's going to happen in just a few months is the the enemy from the north will come in and they will do everything jeremiah said and his word was proven true in his own lifetime wow wow the word is proven true so we church we we offer ourselves as as not just messengers but as part of the message that God has to this world. We recognise that we may, we, we may have to pay a price to serve God. We, we recognise that we, as God's people, won't always be accepted. Our audience may reject us. But we know this. We're sowing, we're sowing the word of God into people's hearts and minds. And it will, it will be proven true. Called to be single. It's an idea that doesn't sit with our perceived right to marry whoever we want, does it? Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Part 40, Called to be Single, are available by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.